What happened to the Aztecs? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? Start the clock. And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm at Napa. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always, kicking off a week, uh, a day late, I guess, <laughs> but kicking off a, another week uh, into the podcast and looking forward to uh, an interesting week coming forward. Uh, we we did not have a show yesterday. Uh, things were, um, were booked intentionally that way. Um, we do have Jake. Jolly will be back with me tonight uh, featuring his Claymation movie that just premiered, Claymation Zombies. Uh, and we'll be talking about that. Maybe some special guests from the movie will be popping in. Uh, another programming note, next week, next Monday, uh, October 11th, Henry Phillips, Punching Henry, uh, Henry's Kitchen, uh, stand-up comedian, actor, the highwayman, uh, actor, chef, uh all that kind of stuff writer author uh will be with me henry phillips i'm looking forward to that one enough with the pro programming notes off to a slow start here uh already um october is hit here on long island and october can be a really dreary month when there's no sunshine and there hasn't been any sunshine for several days now and it, it for a guy like me i i don't know if i'm one of these uh sad <laughs> you know sad what is that? Uh, sunlight affective disorder. Uh, I get really bummed out when it's not sun when I see no sunshine for days at a time. And October, November, December, these months here in New York are typically like that. So I have to battle myself to stay on upbeat, positive uh, vibe. And so um, hopefully it's a beautiful day wherever you are, though. I have to address a couple of things because um, because they're out there. Uh, I put some drama out there on Twitter, uh, you know, not to be a drama queen, but to let people know about uh, um, just in case, and I don't think something is going to happen to me, <laughs> uh, but in case something does, I want it to be on the record. And I, I, I filed a police report. Um, with the nature of guests that I've had on for 40 years now, I'm going on 40 years especially the conspiracy theories and the people, the UFO people and uh, Bigfoot people. And you're bound to get a few kooks that uh, fall through the cracks every once in a while, psychic people. And so I was trying for a couple of years to get a scientist on to talk about simulation theory. And none of the um, legitimate credentialed authors uh, were really game to come on and talk about it for whatever reason. Uh, so I joined a lot of uh, social media groups talking about social media uh, simulation theory. And I asked, you know, for people who were experts or or knew a lot about it, not so much experts, I guess, uh, to come on the program and talk about it and explain exactly uh, the belief system behind simulation theory. And uh, probably uh, didn't do enough due diligence on the guests that I did except about a year ago I had a gentleman on who wrote a book about uh, simulation theory, but the book was really far-fetched uh, nonsense. 
uh, coincidences. The guy would see a vanity license plate with his daughter's name on it and convince himself that that was proof that we were living in a simulation. He also took credit for uh, predicting uh, Donald Trump's uh, election in 2016 in the book uh, without any evidence for for any of it. And he basically had a uh, contrived theory about some kind of candidate who would be uh, not a third party candidate, but somebody who would shake things up. But it didn't, the thing didn't resemble Donald Trump in any way. But he was claiming that was that his authorship of the book, book was uh, simulation, proof of simulation theory. Long story short, I did an interview with him. Didn't go well. He didn't sell a lot of books. Six months after he was on the program, he was uh, attacking me on Facebook and and said some really, uh, you know, insulting things about me and how I should have promoted him better. And, uh, you know, when you're on here, it's up to you uh, to have a quality book to sell. (laughs) I mean, I do my best to let my audience know about it. But if you don't present it well, um, they're not going to be interested in it. And so if you don't sell any, that's not on me. That's on you. I did do, and you know, I'm giving you free publicity out here and trying to um, promote you the best I can. If it doesn't work, sorry, that's the way it goes. But he said some insulting things and wanted me to either step up my promotional efforts for his book or take down the episode altogether. And I decided on the latter. I took down the episode and I had some harsh words for him right back. Uh, and I took down the episode and, uh, from the audio feed and the video feed, and it was gone forever. A couple months go by, and he starts apologizing. I was wrong to say the things I did. Uh, you you were right. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I didn't answer his apologies, the first 10 of them. After 10 of those apologies came, I said, please stop apologizing. Uh, I forgive you. I'm not mad at you. Uh, Just let's move on. And uh, you have your life. I'll have my life. And that's the way it should be. Uh, Then the apologies escalated. He wanted me to put it back online. And I explained to him that it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, maybe in your simulation theory, so, <laughs> simulated universe somewhere, uh, it d- does exist. And if you can find it, you can publish it yourself. But I don't have it anymore. It's been deleted. It's gone. Please stop apologizing me, uh, to me. Cease and desist. Don't contact me any further. Uh, the guy's a off, off, off his rocker. He did leave a um, cryptic message on social media about three weeks ago that he was ready to crack. He needed help. He, he, he was asking people to pray for him and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so I started to get worried. And then the apology emails came again. And I this is enough. You got to stop contacting me. I'm going to go to my local police and, and tell them I think you're a stalker and get a order of protection or at least get it on the police record. So I posted that on, on social media. So um, I'm not going to name him, but uh, the police have his name. And if anything should happen to me, I should suddenly disappear. This guy is definitely behind it. That's all I can say about that. And I don't, I'm not um, walking on eggshells thinking he's, he's going to try anything, but he's just off his rocker. And uh, part, of, you know, part of my history back in the radio show days, I did have stalkers. Stalkers who called me on the radio uh, as I was doing my radio program, calling me from my own house, inside my house. So, 
it's not something to be taken lightly. Um, we do our best to keep an open mind on a lot of subjects. And sometimes uh, we run across some crazy people. So there, you know, again, when you talk to a lot of conspiracy theorists and psychics and people with uh, different belief systems, every once in a while you're going to get a crazy person. And I got a crazy person. And so um, that's what the social media posts over the weekend were all about. I do apologize for being a bit of a drama queen about it. Now, today we're going to talk <laughs> to an author who has uh, written about a superhero Based in the Aztec culture, uh, Aztec uh, Warrior God is the name of, of the book. It's a graphic novel. Uh, and we're going to be talking to the author of that uh, series, I guess it is. I didn't know it was a series. I thought we were just talking about one book. But it uh, appears to be a series anyway. We'll find out more about it in just one second. got to talk first about today's sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital, as you know, it's a business lender matching platform that gets you best credit lines guaranteed. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. That's right. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, and I don't mean just a whim, but a well-documented business plan, they can help you get funding, get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. You ready to get started? You go to apply.fundwise.com slash mindog. Apply.fundwise.com slash mindog. The link is in the description, and I certainly do appreciate you patronizing our sponsor. you need money for your business, go to fundwise.com. Apply.fundwise.com slash mindog. Uh, now, back to the uh, subject at hand. Originally from Alaska and a place, uh, Chugiak Eagle River. I don't know. I, I don't know. David Towner is an American entrepreneur, comedian. Comedian. We like comedians around here. They're not comedians, don't turn out to be stalkers, by the way. He's an entrepreneur, comedian, writer, and filmmaker. We like filmmakers too. They don't turn out to be stalkers. Uh, he is the creator and head writer for the graphic novel series. Now it's a series, Aztec Warrior God, which has gained millions of uh, fans around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in David Towner to the Mind Dog TV podcast. David, welcome. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, it's my pleasure to have you here. Now, uh, for what I'm uh, understanding, it, it, what we're talking about here, a single book, this book, or okay. is, it, is it in fact a series? Because it, it is uh, a series. That's the uh, that's the very first book called Emergence, uh, ch Chapter One, Emergence, and that is the book that sets the foundation for the rest of the series. It covers our origin story and introduces our characters. So it's a pretty action filled. Um, novel but the second one actually will launch in in uh, november november 12th it's called redemption and the objective is to um create series of four and after every four we'll do a compilation novel and then we uh, have 24 written so we're doing one every three months so we'll do four in a year and then after every four we'll do a compilation of those four and they'll all be subsequent they're um they're there'll be continuous just like um, a DC or a Marvel franchise. The characters stay the same. Obviously we'll introduce new characters along the way, but the, the core players will always be there. 
Wow. That, so you have 24 of these already written? Yeah, I started in 2009, actually. This has been a long-term project for me, and it became a time crunch when... So the, the Aztec Empire actually fell on uh, August 13th, 1521. So the story, my story, it's imperative that on the 500th anniversary that this title, Emergence, comes out. So I had to scramble to find artists. I, the stories were there, but I didn't have the artist. Luckily, last year during the pandemic, I found these two amazing artists in, uh, in Mexico, and they started illustrating for me. Ten months later, we had the first novel and actually did launch it on August 13th, uh, 2021. Uh, I'm just curious, why, why, why was it imperative to get it launched on the date? Okay, so my, my creation story um, revolves around the fact of the mystery that, that the Aztec Empire essentially rose to fame quickly, but also dissipated pretty quickly. So you had a 7 million people in this massive empire. Their capital, Tenochtitlan, was larger than London and coexisted at the same time. But this empire, within months, was really dissipated to just a handful of people. And a lot of people mistakenly think the Spanish defeated them. That's not true at all. The Spanish only had 400 soldiers. The Spanish did recruit some indigenous people to help in their offensive against them. But the reality, most of them that died were from smallpox. But that still left millions of people. And there's always been a mystery about where did they go geographically? Nobody can find evidence of them. <clears throat> so in my story, I created um, a fictional uh, narrative that the god of war intervened in the battle. And he withdrew about two million of them and withdrew them into the underworld. And he gave them a task that 500 years from today, you will emerge a better society, a less, uh, less violent society, and a more benevolent society with the objective of helping the world become a better, more tranquil planet. Simultaneously, um, I incorporated the um, prophecy from Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse said specifically when he was sitting with Sitting Bull four days before his death, I envision a time in seven generations and at that time, red people will unite as one and help the world. And he basically said it will be a saving grace for all of all of humanity. And he implied that even the white men would seek the guidance of the red man at that point. Seven generations from that point forward is actually is today. So I incorporated both of those stories to create um, this indigenous um, superhero platform with the catalyst and the backstory being uh, the uh, Aztec mythology, but then subsequently the um, progression of the uh, story is is fueled by Crazy Horse's prophecy that all of the tribes would unite. And chapter two is where we start to incorporate the other indigenous tribes. The Navajo are actually the uh, superheroes, not superheroes, but the heroes of the story in chapter two. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, pretty, you know, 12 years to think about something. You can you can layer in a lot of uh, a lot of complexity. Right. Uh, it sounds like um, did, did you go to uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basically digging for your own personal backstory yeah. here. But did you go to school for to be a historian on, on this culture? I mean, because you seem very deep in it uh, and, and more than the average person. I mean, uh, the average person has heard about Aztec right. culture, of course, but not to the level that you just talked about. So where, where does that level of depth? Well, my, my, I've studied physics, marketing, uh, law enforcement, never, but never history. Um, I've always <laughs> been captivated by history and that's always contributed to my writing. But um, I had 12 years to study it. And when I approached people, I actually were using a Nahuatl, um, uh, uh, 
contractor, a consultant to help us with the language and the culture. But even he and my artists are saying, wow, you know more about Aztecs than we do because, um, because of course I want, I want the story to be rooted in reality and to also have historical references that are educational. But at the same time, you know, that's, that's kind of been done and we wanted, wanted something that's a little more entertaining than a history lesson. So I've, I've been able to really balance the two really well. And so far people are really digging it. Um, where did the, the genesis of this idea for you come like when, what, what, what sparked the uh, interest in creating this? Okay. So uh, I spent a lot of time in Mexico and on one specific trip, I had a couple spare days looking for uh, something to do just to pass the time. I went on this uh, retreat called an Aztec journey. And that's where I learned all of the core elements of the mystery of the disappearance of the culture, the rapid rise of the culture. I mean, they were phenomenal. Most people have no idea because their culture has been tainted by the legacy of, of human sacrifice. What they don't, don't know. And because that, unfortunately that overshadows all the positive. Um, this was a, a uh, organization or a uh, structure, infrastructure um, that had an arts council. They had a, a petting zoo. They had um, very, very highly, highly um, skilled agriculture. I mean, they created their city in the middle of a lake. They had um, art councils. They had uh, women at the time, very progressive society. Women could be warriors. They could own businesses. They could be supervisors in, in different roles. And people lose sight of that. This super advanced culture. And we're also trying, you know, we don't deny the legacy. In fact, opening scenes in the chapter one acknowledge the violent past. And, but we, we're trying to move on beyond that and show the positive elements of this culture and their contributions to society. Right. Uh, do you know what the violent nature was about? Why? Uh, what, you know, in their minds, because it's, it, and I look back non judgmental. I mean, yes. I think a lot of people in the world today, no matter what the history, we tend to look at flaws of people from 500 years ago and say, well, that, that, you know, that's really reprehensible yeah. or whatever. But the cultures are different, the times are different. You can't judge. Uh, and, you know, if we go back to that, why don't we go back to Og the caveman dragging a woman out? And Absolutely. Say, or biblical, know? biblical times. <laughs> right. Um, so so yeah, you can't you can't judge a his, historic culture from today's standards. But the um the crazy thing about that to me, people people have very selective uh ability to judge different cultures. But um what happened was so the Aztecs came from the north, and an area nobody has identified specifically, but in my story, it's uh, in the uh, southwest U.S. and northern Mexico. They came down, and what happened was they started incorporating the religions of other cultures, even using their geography, their their existing uh, uh, buildings, and, and started adopting some of their gods. So they had this hybrid uh, religion, if you will, or belief system. And they thought the best way to appease the gods were was human sacrifice. But here's the craziest thing about that. Most of the human sacrifices were volunteers. These aren't people snatched off the street and brought up. They thought it was a great honor. So again, you can judge them. How could they think that? But you look at um, ISIS today, and it's a great honor to blow yourself up in a car. Of course, that's absurd. It's obscene. It's it's um, misdirected. But again, when you understand the complexity of the human mind and how easily influenced people are, then you can understand you grow up from the age of you know one being indoctrinated into this is the greatest um, 
privilege in the world is to sacrifice your life for the betterment of your kind, then of course you'll do that. But what we do in uh, chapter two, I actually cover this as well. So all of these elements that, that are controversies or speaking points, in chapter two specifically, we have a um, uh, Denuoa, he's a Cherokee elder, and he's speaking to um, to Amashli, who's our, our Aztec warrior, as they're walking to the Navajo Nation. And uh, and Denuoa is speaking to him about, about morality. And one thing he says specifically is that, that a person can't be judged on what they do. They can be judged on their intentions. So if you um, commit atrocities, but in your mind you believe you're doing the right thing, then that karma can be purified. But if you do, if you do um, something against somebody else, knowing that it's the wrong thing to do, that karma cannot be purified. So again, we're also incorporating, we have a Hindu and other, other characters in there, but we're incorporating multiple belief systems in this. Um, so that's, that's a perfect reflection on how our, our perception of morality in the book is that, yes, they did bad things, but at the same time, they didn't think they were doing them. And of course, you know, it's, it goes, it's counterintuitive to judge people based on their intentions. If you, if you think the right thing is to stalk you because you didn't promote my book enough, right. That's, that's, that's misdirected, but at the same time, but at the same time, you have the knowledge to know somebody's not really thinking clearly. And that's, you know, it's just obviously uh, something gone wrong there and, and it's uh, not a judgment, but just a, an evaluation. That's where we stand on, on that on their legacy of, of violence. You read my mind. Cause as soon as you started talking about intention, I started thinking yep. about that guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's very strange how that people can, can adopt those things. Now, uh, I think you're right though. Cause I saw a PBS, uh, documentary, um, not PBS, some, uh, one of those, uh, you know, non-biased politically type yeah. of, of shows and they they were doing a thing they found a lake of uh human sacrifices where right. people drown but it appeared that they drowned themselves or they went voluntarily or, or right. uh and so that was baffling and it, i think they found like hundreds if i'm not mistaken hundreds of bodies at the bottom of this lake with oh, weights yeah. weights tied around their feet to uh, you know, weigh them down and yep. but it appeared that they absolutely went voluntarily yeah. which is uh, incredible it, yeah um is there any uh relevance to you to the and i'm i'm assuming i have this right that the aztecs were the ones who built pyramids in mexico right they did and, also the maya did yeah Right. And I'm not sure. That's why I wasn't I'm not I'm not exactly sure on who actually uh, built the ones that kind of match the ones in Egypt. Do you give any credence to that kind of um, there is some uh, direct correlation? I'll tell you why I don't. Okay. If you separate two cultures, um, ultimately, they're going to create the easiest path toward an objective. You know, human humans are brilliant. I mean, our, our species is brilliant. So two separate cultures, the fact that they have the same idea, it's, it's not that unfathomable. You know, if I, if I live in Alaska where I grew up and somebody lives in Florida, um, we will, we will make, make a tree fort the same way. I didn't learn that from the guy in Florida, but when we decide, you know, as a 10 year old, we want to make a tree fort, we'll make it the same way because those are the materials available to us. That's the structure that, that will stand long-term because when you see, these are always represented representations of successes, not failures. So you see the pyramids because they lasted. You don't see the other 50,000 structures that each culture built that crumbled and didn't work. 
So, so the fact that two had long-standing structures, but specifically, I'm always open-minded to that stuff. And a lot of people believe the Olmecs and Toltecs from Southern Mexico and Central America are derivative of either African or Middle Eastern descendants because of their appearance. But genetics just doesn't doesn't demonstrate that. I mean, genetics show that the um, um, that the the uh, the inhabitants of those areas came from the same place as American Indians did, which is through the Beringian Pass. And we also cover that in our story that all indigenous people essentially have roots in the same place and essentially all human beings do. And that's that's another theme of our story is a commonality of mankind and and not not categorizing people, not classifying people. But it's also fathomable that prior to the Beringian Sea Passage, that two different cultures diverged that had that same knowledge. So maybe they just went to different places or even as far back as Africa, where we, you know, we're pretty sure that that's the origin of mankind. Who's to say that 50,000, 20, 30,000 years ago, people didn't, didn't exit with that knowledge already, or they, the basic skills and come to different cultures. So the direct relationship, I mean, it's not even possible to me that um, the Inca and Aztec spoke, so specifically to speak or inhabit, you know, speak with other inhabitants of Africa, not not even fathomable. I mean, those people had more things to do than to try to cross, you know, thousands of miles of desert or or across a sea. I mean, they were, it's, it's another important thing to remember is the Aztecs were only around a few hundred years. So that type of uh, excursion or travel for them specifically would have been unfathomable. Wow, you make you make a good argument for that. I, I, I'm I'm impressed because I I hadn't heard an argument against that ever before. Right, I mean, right. Uh, it's pretty much um, I don't want to say accepted science, but a lot of archaeologists believe that in some way they were related. We also get the story that possibly at one point South America and Africa were actually connected. Right, and so well, that would have been so far. That would have been before human occupancy. I mean, humans. Right. You know, you know, we're in the in the Americas. We're at the most thirty thousand years old. There is a new theory, though, that I saw that somebody thinks it's as many as a hundred thousand years. Right. But even at that, the continents wouldn't have divided that recently. Right. Very cool stuff. Have Have you had a lot of uh, conversations with people who uh, devote their lives to the archaeological studies of this kind of stuff? Yeah, I've I've actually consulted with a lot of different people to make sure we get some, you know, again, we're peppering facts into this fictional story, but I want to make sure what we do pepper in is factual. The crazy thing is there's not a lot of factual information. It's a lot of theory, um, a lot of theory about where the Aztecs went. Um, now, we know a little bit about their daily lives. The unfortunate thing about all indigenous cultures is their story is told by the conquerors. So the Spanish are the ones that um, that develop the narrative and of course they're developing that narrative based on their willingness to be a hero you know these horrible brutal savages we overcame them and we're the heroes of of europe but but the interesting thing about the aztecs is they they were um influenced or coerced by the spanish to create what's called the florentine codex now in that um they hired because they wanted to reflect the culture well enough, but with their own narrative, they hired local artists, Aztec artists to create this massive book. What the Aztecs did that was brilliant is they wrote in code in, in the margin of the book, their own story. So in the margin of the book, they're contradicting the story of the narrative written by the Spanish. And that, that is a fascinating book, but it's, um, 
it's not something anybody, I, I guess there's probably some archives, but it's not something, you know, it's so old, it's a treasure that not something anybody can just go flip through, but the excerpts I've seen from it are fascinating. And, and so you kind of learn a little more about their, um, about their culture from them, but as far as a written language and it's, it's really limited. It's not like, um, unfortunately they're a very modern culture, but we know less than we do about the, um, the Egyptians and mainly just because of sustained culture of thousands of years versus 200 years of the, uh, of the Aztec ring. Wow. Wow. This is, this is some heavy stuff. Um, so you have put together, uh, this is, this is not a small undertaking. You know, most people, they, they, uh, start out with a book, a yeah. book, a book, yeah. and not, not a team of people that are required to produce this thing. Right. So you've put together quite an entrepreneurial, um, mission for yourself. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, this, this is my office in the back of my house here. And if you can see the hundreds, maybe thousands of books on those shelves, we're shipping, we're publishing, we're doing it all. And the reason I even went with this format, I was started it as a screenplay, but it became a 400 screenplay and I was in act one. So I decided this is better done episodic. So I started writing it out episodic. And then I started thinking the, the visuals that are created and you'll see in our book are so amazing. Why? would I not want to show those, reflect those directly along with the, uh, with the uh, dialogue. So that's when I started looking into a, a publishing a uh, graphic novel, which I had never done before. And it, and it did take a bit of uh, a bit of energy, a bit of resources, especially I didn't go, I didn't hit it up any publishers because I knew, you know, the reality is I wanted to do this my way and I don't want to structure things. So it appeals to a certain demographic. I want to just tell the story as I see it. And fortunately for me, it's worked out really, really well because the people that matter are not the publishers or not the distributors. It's the people that buy the book. And we even created our own e-commerce site to circumvent the, the, the uh, distribution. Um, we have a little bit of sales on Amazon, but the bulk are direct to uh, direct to consumer. And then on Apple books, because we have such a large international following, we wanted to be available to the people in, in Africa and India and all the other markets that, that can access uh, Amazon. I want to come back to that in a moment, but where I was going with this, and because you just said um, a bit, <laughs> you used the word right. a bit, a bit of energy and commitment and all that kind of stuff. I would think it sounds life-consuming, and so, and maybe it's not, maybe it is. But the the question that that arrives out of, out of that thought process is the why. I mean, uh, you you you. Tell me about where the origin and what, what got you interested in this, but what keeps your passion for this? What is your purpose of you doing this? Because, again, it seems to me like it would require a lot of your life. It energy. Does. And unlike some people think, it's not monetary reasons because that hasn't come to fruition yet. No, you put, it, you know, it never is that. Yeah, uh, you know course, what? Yeah. For, for real artists, it never is that. that right. Of course, that's that's always a nice add-on yeah, of course yeah yeah but, but it takes you know we're have uh to publish four future novels takes twice the money that we did selling we're doing really well i mean i gotta think we're up there comparative to a dc or marvel uh title but at the same time you know it's a big machine that needs that needs to be uh, keep churning to keep these things coming out and um the the motivation i think at this point is the story i want the story to be told but also the if you check our social media out you'll see so many people, um, indigenous people, Latino people, people that, that will tell you we've never had 
a, a, a superhero to look up to. We've always had to look at the Spider-Man, the Batman, and, you know, they're, they're basically built for the audience, which was white males throughout the 50s and 70s and 80s. And the reality is those, those books, those comic series haven't adapted at all. There's no innovation there. It's, it's the same characters and putting a brown-skinned person in a Spider-Man costume no offense to them, but that's that's not really organic development of characters for specific demographics. And so we're we have so many kids that are so grateful. I mean, people we have people buying 10, 20, 30 books um, at a time um, because they are they are spreading these out through their, you know, their kindergarten class, their um, their taekwondo class. They're giving them out as gifts for Christmas. So the the response from the public is what really matters to me. And that there's no greater motivation and just the comments, the comments alone um, that we get, the emails about how grateful people are to see something that's being developed organically for for people in these demographics is very rewarding to me. Wow. Uh, you mentioned um, the, the superheroes of color. And just last week, and not so much a superhero, but there was a lot of controversy over this idea uh, of a black uh, James Bond and people right. people getting upset about that. I don't right. I don't get upset about it, and I don't think that, I think getting upset about it is, is is silly. But uh, when you mention superheroes, now maybe not superheroes, but there are definitely because you mentioned a couple before. Crazy Horse is certainly a role model, and and Geronimo and people like that yeah. who really fought for. Um, they're people at the yeah. time, and they are heroes in some way. Maybe not fictional superheroes, right? Uh, but but there are those people. Are there real life examples like that from the Aztec culture? Well, okay, there are. Um, there are specific warriors with names that I can't pronounce properly. <laughs> I mean, they, their Nahuatl language is very complicated. I know I can pronounce all the names we're using and all and a lot of the language, but so the. The, the reason we didn't use those, and there are several examples of, of warriors that, that struck fear in the heart of the Spanish, the reason we're not using those real, realistic characters is because it wouldn't make sense to blend the real and the, and the new. So all of our characters are fictional, and they come from, they were hand-selected by Witzel Lepashli, who is actually the only um, theological character we reference that is based in reality. So Witzel Lepashli was the god of war and, and the god of sacrifice. Now, he handpicked all these people from the battlefield. So our, our origin is that they were handpicked because of their willingness to fight, but also their humility and, um, and dedication to, to Tenochtitlan, which is the capital. So if we were to incorporate, it would be almost like, Batman and Wyatt Earp, it would just wouldn't make sense. You know, you either need all fictional or all all um, fact based, and we decided to go with fictional because one, it's more flexible too. And another thing I didn't want is um, there's limited information about those people. Other again, most of the uh, narrative is from the Spanish and their observations of those people, so we didn't have a lot to build on. So I thought it would be easier to start with fictional characters. I think you're right, but there is proof that we're both wrong. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, about the idea of mixing old and new. There was yep. a television show in, in uh, I guess it was the 70s, maybe the early 80s, Wild Wild West. I never related to that, but it right. was a mixture of oh, really? uh, old West and like modern stuff like you, you you'd see huh. uh, you know western criminals coming up yeah. again but you know modern 
it mixed modern with yeah. old. Well, I think I think that that um, setting is okay as long as you're not using a specific person from history, because then you would have to take um, you know, take take um, uh, you'd have to be creative in and also at the same time not misrepresent his true legacy. You know, so right. if you brought Wyatt Earp, for example, Wyatt Earp he didn't fight with the Aztecs. So how would you create that narrative that he's there? You know? So, so it's, yeah. So the setting I think would be okay. Mixing the old and the new, but a specific individual I think would be pretty tough. Well, that's, tough. that's interesting in so many ways, because just a couple of weeks ago, I had a uh, historical fiction writer on who actually yeah. used uh, Wyatt Earp wow. and, and basically I had him up in Alaska, which I know he did go to Alaska at some point, just your yeah. connection with you here. Uh, but I know he did, but it was completely a fictional, fictionalized uh, interaction with, with right. Wyatt. Well, another thing, another thing is that, um, that we, our characters are based in reality, but they're unknown characters. You know, they're not, they're not characters that have a, a name and a legacy. Also, I wouldn't want to disrespect that legacy by creating some sense of the character that, that doesn't, doesn't um respect his his legacy you know so that's why I'm i thought it was you. best so i thought it was best to leave it alone i i i agree totally and i question the uh because i had a couple of historical fiction and that's a genre i didn't even know about yep. historical yep. fiction but i had a, a couple of those guys on in a you know w within a couple of weeks and i do have a little bit of a problem with that because if i'm reading that yeah it may and i i latch on to something from the book that i assume is true right. and then i'm in conversation i'm going to make right. an idiot out of myself when somebody points exactly, to me yeah. you know that why Herb never said that or did that or right. went there uh, and i thought i read it in a, in a sure history book but it turns yeah. out it's historical fiction and blurring that lines for me is never not a, a good service for me right. because well, I that, believe that's too why much. that's <laughs> why we're very careful anything any references to reality or the theology of a specific group is always well researched to make sure it's accurate. Technically, I guess we're historic fiction, but another thing a lot of people mis mistakenly believe is that this is a, a period piece. The first novel starts in 1521, but quickly within a few pages, we're in 2021 because that's the emergence of the Aztecs into the modern world. So our, our first book quickly elevates them from, from their, uh, from the underworld where they're living into the modern world. So in chapter two, they, I think they might, they might go back to visit Miklan, which is the underworld. Um, but, but they, this is, it's a modern story and, and subsequent novels will be too. All right. You mentioned before, and I, I, I'm intrigued by this, uh, a big audience for this in around the world in places like Africa and Asia and stuff. Yeah. Um, why? Well, because two things, one is again, People of color have never had representation. And we do have African characters. We have a Shaka Zulu. So here's another twist. So we have real characters like Queen Rani Durgavati was a Hindu warrior princess or queen. Um, Shaka Zulu was a king of, of uh, in Africa, the Zulu nation. But they're not they are not superheroes. They are. Um, I don't want to get too complex here, but it, it, we could talk for hours. But so um, all of everything that we, everything, all of our stories are driven by a tribal world council and that tribal, it's a spirit world tribal council. They exist in the afterlife. 
and it's the heads of every indigenous population ever to exist. They're the ones that make the decisions on who gets to do what, and they designate certain um, spirit guides. And these spirit guides come down to help their, their entities, but on earth they're, they're in a physical being, but they can't participate in violence. And that's explained too why they can't. But so we have these characters that come back as spirit guides and there's Shaka Zulu, Rani Durgavati and other characters from around the world. So our objective was to represent all indigenous people, not just Aztecs and not just American Indians. So that's one reason it's popular. Another is the quality of the artwork. Um, you know, a lot of comics, if you look at them, they're, you know, pulp novel, cheap paper. We're creating really, really high quality, um, three dimensional um, graphic representations of our characters in the sets. We take a lot of time um, to do these. That takes about a week to develop a character or a page. And and so we have we have a multitude of fans. We have fans that like for artwork, fans that love the story, fans that are glad to see indigenous people and people of color represented in, in this platform, but also people that just um, are want to be entertained. And, and it's a really unique uh unique medium for them because we have people who have never read a comic book that bought 10 books for their whole family. I mean, it's a, it's a broad sweeping that people, you know, I've had distributors, um, publishers, producers ask me who, who, who is our audience. And really it, I can't, I can't identify that. We have 70 year old grand, grandparents who bought the, bought the book. We have 13 year olds. We have 10 year olds. We have uh, black, white, every, every race, every country. It's pretty phenomenal. Um, the one thing I have been surprised about is the popularity in, in Europe. Um, that that's something we don't advertise there. We don't um, we don't market the books there on Amazon or anything. And we're getting getting a lot of a lot of digital downloads from Europe. I have an example on the screen right oh, now, yeah. and and of course the audio audio side has no idea what what I'm uh, showing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Chimalma. Chimalma is the protector of the underworld. She's one of the five superheroes that originated in in the um, Aztec battlefield. Very cool. So, is there a series of artists on the, working on this stuff, or just uh, one person who's doing all the artwork? It's actually a brother sister team in Mexico, um, Diego and uh, Carla Andrea Lopez Mata. They are the primaries, but we're actually holding a contest starting very soon where we'll announce the winners at our red carpet event in November in Los Angeles. We're looking for additional artists for cover page art, um, t shirts merchandise and potentially ultimately illustrating the novel as well, as long as they can incorporate and work well with, uh, with our existing artists. So we're doing that. We're going to post that soon on our social media, looking for, you know, ideally earlier, early career artists, you know, looking for opportunities. We have prizes and contracts that'll accompany that. Wow. That, you know, it's a, an amazing undertaking and uh, I'm surprised that I hadn't heard about it. You know what? That's a lot of people have. I was on a plane coming back from LA and somebody was reading it next to me. I didn't say anything. So that's an incredible, an incredible experience when somebody is reading on a Kindle, your, your novel. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's pretty, that's the thing most people say when they see how, how big it is that they, they're really surprised they haven't heard of it. Or I've approached people that I try to explain to them what it is and they already know that that's another really rewarding experience. Wow. Uh, yeah, I could see that. And, and it seems to me that this kind of stuff would be great for, for cinema and, and film. Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what do you, what do you, uh, have you approached anybody about doing that kind of stuff? Well, yet? we've been approached. Um, the problem is, um, I'm also a business guy, you know, my, my background's in private equity and, and I understand we just launched this thing five weeks ago and, or maybe it's six weeks by now. 
Um, so we're getting up there. We haven't even reached a two month point. So the perspective of what the value is of something like this um, has not materialized. You know, people are going to perceive it as a startup or an idea. And I'm really happy just to just to sell a bunch of books for the next few years until we until we make that um, make that transition. But ultimately, yeah, I think it would be a great series, live action series. I think it would be a great film franchise. But we're we're very content where we are. Ultimately, that film is my my love and I would love to be there. But at the same time, we don't want to rush it and get involved with somebody that's not willing to put the resources into it that it really deserves. Because once once it happens, I, I would I would go out on a limb to say this is a two billion dollar theatrical release. When I you're looking at six hundred million Latinos alone, just that market alone with the indigenous population mixed in, plus the broad range. We have 300,000 Facebook fans just in India. We have 700,000 in Mexico. So the, the, the scope of a global theatrical release would be, would be phenomenal. We have recognition in all, all these different markets. So, and I'm happy just to keep building that up until people really see the value. And I'm not going to say the offers we have already aren't, aren't respectable. They really were. And for a person in a different position, it might, it would be um, really, really appealing, but I just want to make sure this is a long-term project for me. And I want to make sure that everything we do contributes to that and doesn't, doesn't taint the legacy of, of, you know, we have 24 novels. We have, we have six years of novel release. I don't want somebody making a crappy film in 2023 just to capitalize on the audience. And then, and then people get a bad taste about the whole series. You know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I think the, the tendency for people was to go after the short-term money there right? and, yeah. and not really care about the quality, but I can see how, you know, somebody did a, uh, threw a million dollars at this and tried to make a film out of it. It would, lo- oh, it would suck. It, it would, would be suck. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Uh, you know, that you can't afford the location shots that are necessary. Right. You can't, none of it. I right. mean, exactly. because it, 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 it is a production that would, would require, uh, to to make it believable and to to draw the audience in and, and make them feel part of the uh, yep. experience, you'd have to do yeah. it pretty quality. And there's yeah, no absolutely. way to no way to cheap out on a book. No on, way, no on, way. On and this. again, and again, to me, um, the audience that we have built, they deserve better than that. You know, yeah, yeah. I, and so I'm going to make sure that anything we present to them will be the highest quality. And that's what we produced already. I every every. Um, Every novel we're creating is the highest quality artwork, the highest quality dialogue, the uh, you know the best storylines. We're not looking to create something for a, a money grab because one, um, <laughs> there's no money grab to be had in this business, and two, it's uh, it's just not the way I operate with anything I do. Well, good for you, and it, that, that's a very rare thing. Now, I want to talk about that because. Uh, first of all, you mentioned private equity. I have another podcast that that might, would be interested in oh, talking yeah. to you. Uh, but uh, the idea of artist mind, businessman mind, aren't, right. uh, they generally separate things. If you find a great right. artist, they're generally lousy business people. And if you right. find a good business person, they generally don't really have a, a good uh, aptitude towards art. Mixing those into one person is definitely a challenge. And generally, it takes right. partners. You have, you have to find the artist guy and, right. and that, and, you know, Walt Disney and his brother or whatever. Sure. You go through that. Uh, yep. Tell me about how you uh, manage to walk both well i've been very blessed with a left and right brain balance so i i have um i would say there are elements of business i hate and elements of creativity that i hate so when it comes to business i like the big picture 
I like, and it's probably reflective of how I can also have a creative mind. I don't like the numbers. I don't like finance. I dread tax time, all that stuff. I hate it. I like the big picture of brand building, um, building brand equity, making deals. That's what I like. So I think it's pretty conducive. Now, a guy who's an accountant, probably not going to be a good uh, graphic novel illustrator, you know, but, but when, but I think the elements that I like of each are pretty, pretty symbiotic, you know, and same with the, uh, with the novel. I don't want to sit down and write the dialogue in each little cell. That's not me. I create a, a, you know, a teleplay format, like a screenplay, send it to the artist and they break it down like that. I like, I like the big picture stuff. I just don't like the minutia and detail. So, so they're pretty, um, pretty, uh, pretty relate pretty well but at the same time i wouldn't um i wouldn't um ever claim to be the best at anything i just you know i know what i like i know where my strengths are and and i focus on that yeah uh you've said a couple of times about the lack of representation for people of color now if i look at you i i would assume you're a white guy but you can't do that in this world anymore i mean people have mixed heritages and stuff do you have uh i have a very mixed heritage um so i'm from all over the place from iberia um american indian and but the reality is i don't want to represent myself as anything other than what i appear to be which is a white guy and um <laughs> and and you know genetically that's also justified but um i have a pretty pretty strong but i would tell you the problem in today's world is you're not enough of this or you're not enough of that so i don't even want to some people know but it's not i'm not going to uh try to make a play on any any ethnicity that I have because somebody's going to judge it and somebody's going to say, well, you shouldn't be saying you're this or that if you're not X percent. So I leave that alone and say, look at me, I'm a white guy. There's a specific reason why I have a really strong interest in, um, in uh, American Indian culture. And I'll just say that's, that's the, that's the answer I'm given. Right. I, and I, I appreciate that. And I, you know what? I, I don't care what you are, but uh, when you, when it, it has an agenda behind it of and, and I, I don't use that word like because right. agenda can have a, a negative uh, connotation. I don't mean it in that way at all. But you, you're on a mission. Let's, let's use that yeah. word to kind of present uh, superheroes of color. Right. Uh, generally, you, you would assume that a person on that path would be a person of color what about the other writers and artists that you are are, is that what drives them are are many of them uh, people of color or well they all they all are um and uh, i don't want to speak on their behalf but i would just tell you that um uh nobody else in the united states is working on this project other than me that's what i'll tell you oh wow yeah yeah. that's interesting so recruiting people for and and uh the collaboration process uh, is that a difficult one to maintain like because i know when i collaborate with one other writer yeah we can butt heads for a while and different ideas and resistance and all that stuff when when it gets too big it gets really unmanageable for me what's what's your experience with that collaboration most most of the writing is done by me um now i I have brought in a couple other people and the way i do it is I um, engage them to write a short story and I'll tell them I want a 30 page short story and um, send it to me and, and I'll, I'll check it out. It has to, you know, obviously relate to what we're doing. I give them the backstory of, of the rest, but I don't ever want to influence what they're doing. So far, we haven't used any of those stories. Um, I have one that a friend of mine did that I might, I might use, um, but I will probably adjust it too. And, um, but from the, from the artist perspective, I mean, I, I've been so blessed that I send these guys, hey, I want to create a Taino warrior. 
and they they it's I don't even have to make changes. I mean, it's just incredible. If you look at the website, we did a uh, uh, time lapse video of them creating that warrior. And I mean, they're so skilled and this all comes back to hiring the right people in the, the first time. Um, they're so skilled that 99% of the time, the first, the first draft is, is what I, what I expect. And, and so obviously they're in Mexico, so it's hard to, you know, it's not a real time situation. So it takes a long time to download, especially with their, their Wi-Fi access. So they'll download, here's the first draft. Are we on the right path? And 99% of the time, the feedback's absolutely, you got, you nailed it. Interesting stuff. I mean, it's got, seems to me it would be like uh, way too much for me to even think it, it, about. I like that. I thrive on that though. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Uh, we, the world needs driven people. <laughs> Not lazy yeah, yeah. bastard like Yeah, me. yeah, because we have a lot that aren't, so we have to overcome. There is a nature, uh, a part of this that is uh, the supernatural stuff is, how, how do I phrase this? It's got a spiritual or a, a uh, otherworldly, next worldly element right, yeah. to it. Uh, do you have beliefs in that area that, that, uh, you, that make their way into this book? I mean, explain to me what, what your thoughts are on this whole. Well, idea I would say that. the underlying theme of the film is, is really about altruism. And, and I do believe in the Buddhist philosophy that, um, that karma exists and that um, compassion can help a lot of things. And so another thing, speaking of the, the genetic or racial identity of people, um, I believe, and I also, and our, our, our story also indicates that, that that's really, those are really um, distractions to daily life. I mean, what color your skin is or where you went to school or, or uh, where you go to church, all that's irrelevant when you look at, the, the way I'll tell you this is, um, so 20,000 years ago, a species emerged called Homo sapien. And every single person alive today is a descendant of that that group, and so are so is our whole team. You know, we're all. So the reality is, you can go back a few years, a hundred years, two hundred years, and you can identify yourself and categorize yourself. But at the same time, our our project is really designed to to overcome that. And you'll see in subsequent novels how how we essentially build out that that cohesive group of people from all different all different races and tribes as one as one cohesive united front from a per, my perspective is i'm not an organized religion guy um and i believe that um living a divine life doesn't require a, a building and <laughs> and uh if you, i don't know if you saw the my i did a feature film last year that um has some um, religious undertones and it. it's a comedy but it's uh it, it it shows the absurdity of some of of that type of uh, religious um indoctrination that that i have grown distant from yeah, uh, I'll just on that, my little two cents here. I think religion uh, confuses a lot of people, especially uh, people who have no belief. Pe people who call themselves atheists, yeah. they, they assume that if you are open-minded, at least, to something bigger than us, that you're right. part of a religion. And right, I, right, of course. Uh, you know, I'm not part of any organized religion. I, I frown on that kind of stuff yeah. because I think that that was created. Organized religions were created by man as a way to control people, of course, uh, and, and control what they believe. And rather, yeah. rather than uh, 
urging you to keep an open mind and think for yourself. They want to say, no, you're not allowed right. to think for yourself. We'll do the thinking for you. You right. just, uh, you just well, let human us mind, Human mind is very fragile and it's very easy and accommodating for someone to be told. And that's why cults are so successful. Um, the Nazis were so successful. ISIS is so successful at recruiting people who are intellectually not sophisticated and also uneducated because right. they, they're looking for guidance. The human mind seeks knowledge but it doesn't have the ability to filter it. So that's what we got into earlier about how can people, you know, do human sacrifice? How can people blow up themselves in a, in a, in a, in a school bombing or a, a embassy bombing? That's because they were seeking something that fulfilled a void and they latched onto something negative. And that's, and that's the, uh, the danger. And I, I heard a story today um, from Brandy Carlisle. I don't know if you know, she's a musician. Yeah, she yeah. wrote a book. She did an interview this morning that I listened to and her brother disowned her because she's gay and he, his justification was his, his Christian um, upbringing. So she, I think has reunited with him now, but for decades, they, she, she lost a brother because he couldn't see past what he had been told to think about people with her lifestyle. And, and she said, it's such a shame because he was the best musician she's ever met. Probably somebody that could have had a great career working with her, but, but that, that, indoctrination of whatever group he was in led her, led those two to separate for years and years. And what a tragedy that is when you don't, you don't get to know the value of a person because of a third, what a third party told you to think about them. Right. What a shame. What a shame. Absolutely a shame. And, and especially, you know, just along the lines of what you're just talking about and homo sapiens and we are all one. I, I, have a different way of, of saying that to people, especially when it comes to this idea of cultural differences and skin colors and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we we should we forget to embrace the sameness that we all are homo sapiens and right. if we look at the differences if we just focus on difference we can look at dude my next door neighbor is not the same as me they're different right. from me of and course. so all, all all we're talking about when we branch that out around the world is just a, a different degree of separation of cultures but when right. it comes down to it you brought this up before i mean you learn to build a tree, a tree house or a fort or something the same way somebody in Florida did. Right. We learn we learn the most of the behaviors and cultural things that make us human. We have far more in common than we than exactly. we have in difference. And listen, when I was in the military, I had the ability, the opportunity to interview uh, terrorist type people, and um, and the thing I that struck me about them was how they seem like I could interview a guy. And he would remind me of a guy I knew back in Ohio right. or Kentucky yep. or Alaska. And, and, it, and it's the commonality of people. The only difference is that 0.1% degree of separation that caused him to follow a, a bad path. And otherwise, the way he thought about his parents, the way he thought about his siblings, the, way, the foods he liked, all of that's e equal to people I know. And that's the crazy thing about, about just... Um, and I believe people can be nurtured um, from bad behavior because of that, because of we all start off the same. It's the influences that follow us through our life and the environments that we're in that can help us help lead us to bad decisions or good decisions. So, I, I mean, I'm not I don't think there's people that are inherently bad or if they are, I think their ability to do evil can be minimized by the proper nurturing. Wow. Uh, the, the chapter, I'm writing a book m myself right now, and the chapter I'm working on right now is uh, about the 
nature of good and evil through the conversations I've had with uh, seven, eight hundred people on this program here wow. just to get different takes on it. Yeah. And, and people have different uh, takes on it. But I'm always curious about that. And, and since you brought it up, I have to ask you about it now. I mean, um, do you believe that we are all capable of good and evil and to the same extent in other words uh, and i'm going to put this as bluntly as yeah. can is a guy named like hitler born that way or did, did we does the environment and the world make him that way okay i think you're born with a specific brain chemistry that can make you capable of things but i think that early intervention and growing up in the like you you rarely see um somebody that was raised in a middle-class family that um that that was was affluent but also very well nurtured and educated by by attentive parents those people don't become gang members those people aren't selling drugs on the street a lot of it's because of affluence they don't need to do that but at the same time they're also not doing drive-by shootings on people that make them angry you know so now you take you take um and it's a kind of a complex conversation because you can take a kid that grows up in the ghetto with a crack addict mom and a dad in prison and he becomes successful, but he didn't do that without some influence. There's somebody along the way that had to show him because how would he know to go to college? How would he know to study? How would he know there had to be some influence? Maybe it was a television show. Maybe it was a radio host. Maybe it was uh, somebody in the neighborhood, but there's always some guidance. And I think another, another funny thing is this is probably pretty controversial, but I spent a lot of time in Haiti. You know what I never saw in Haiti? A clinically depressed person. And I'll tell you why, because I think that type of mentality and listen, I understand there are people who suffer from depression. I'm not denying that, but what are the odds that 40% of Americans are antidepressants, 0% of Haitians are on antidepressants, but they function perfectly. In, in Haiti, you wake up in the morning. If you don't get out of bed, if you sit around your house and just lay in bed and feel sorry for whatever life has dealt you, you don't drink fresh water that day and you die in three or four days. You know, so I think opportunity yields a lot of of mental mental makeup. So I think, uh, you know, again, people in, you know, the pioneers weren't out um, thinking, oh, how am I going to overcome this ADHD? And again, I'm not denying that it exists, but I think um, that when people are given an opportunity, another great example, perfect example. I just conversated with somebody yesterday about this. I was on active duty for five years, not one time. Do I remember calling in for sick? Not one person called in sick because you you don't have the opportunity to do that. <laughs> you take the same people in a civilian world, 20% call in sick 10 days a year. Right. It, it, it's without fail. So could it be that in the military, you just don't get sick? Or could it be that in the military, you don't have the opportunity to decide, oh, today I don't feel like working. I'll, I'll go take the day off. So that's how it works. In the military, you wake up, you go to you go to your formation. Um, you tell your platoon sergeant, Hey, I, I need to go to sick call. I'm sick. And they'll tell you, okay, go to sick call. But, but imagine, um, if you could just call and do that, it's amazing how sick people get. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, I, I hear you. And uh, I, I do think, uh, some people will, will take what you just said the wrong way oh, and, okay. and, and try to make some controversy. Of yeah, it. But of course, I, yeah. I think you're spot on. I mean, especially with the idea of medicating stuff and the way we treat. So, it's not that 
people in Haiti might not feel the same. They just deal with it differently and right. they're not medicating each other and, and, and looking for a simple way out or exactly, a, yep. an easy pass out yep. and, and dealing with it. But uh, again, I, I don't want to belittle it either, but I do yeah, think we in America, we tend to look for the path of least resistance and over, yep. over, rely on chemical. It's just a numbers game. How could it be that 40% of Americans need antidepressants, but 0% of people in Tibet do? You right. know, Tibetans are raised early on to condition their mind to to toward the positive. And, and I think um, there's tremendous merit. So it, it goes back to your original question was, I think people can be conditioned. Again, you don't see serial killers in Tibet. You know, you don't, you don't see, see this stuff, you know, you don't see it in, um, in cultures or Japan, even Japan has less than 10% of our total crime. I, and, and it's, and it's a population that, um, that is urged early on to believe in Shintoism or, and, and not, a, not a deity based religion, but understanding how to condition your mind and create a peaceful mind. And I think that is a huge contributing factor to a lot of people and their, and their sanity and people that don't get that intervention early on are probably more vulnerable to, to negative influences and negative perceptions of their self and their world. Wow. Great conversation. I thank you for, for bringing this to you. I got, I, I got to have you back, uh, uh, you know, more than once because I, um, Really interested in your perspective on these things. I think uh, obviously you've had a world full of experience that yeah. that lends itself towards uh, uh, thinking about these kind of things and Absolutely. deep thought rather than just you know right. sur surface level thinking about it. Right. The book is called uh, the first uh, version of the book, chapter one, is called Emergence Aztec Warrior God. It's out now. The website is AztecWarriorGod.com. There's a lot of uh, social media stuff. We'll, we'll get the links to all the social media stuff in, in the description as well. The link to AztecWarriorGod.com is already in the description. If you click there today, you want to check it out. I'm sure there's probably links to social media there on that website, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, does this book uh, lend itself to audiobooks or not, or, you know, it, it, no, that's it's counterproductive. Not, yeah. It's, it's just not conducive to that, that uh, format, but we have a digital and um, paperback versions, paperback you can buy on the website and digital. You can buy on pretty much everywhere. Kobo, um, Amazon, Apple books, all the, everywhere that you can download a book, you can get it on, on those platforms. Great stuff, man. Uh, I appreciate your, your time here, David, and, Thanks, and, man. and your insights and all, you know, well, I appreciate you asking interesting questions. Um, I'm not used to that. I'm used to, you yeah, know, no. the four or five, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot. Of, and most of them come with, with pre-written questions and don't oh, listen yeah, to your course. answers anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You exactly. gotta listen. They don't even listen. They just, right. you, you say what you want, then it's the next question. Yeah. Right. Not a dialogue. Not a dialogue. It's an interview. But I would definitely love, because you, you, you're a deep well, and I love talking to deep well, so well, I, I would love to have you back. Uh, I don't know uh, what the schedule is for releasing the books, but you don't have to come back just every time you sure, release man. a book. Uh, but I definitely want want to have you back if you're okay. open to it. That so, sounds good, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Th thank you for coming. I wish you great success with this uh, stuff. I'm going to start thank to you, follow man. it now because now I'm aware of it. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, it's like That's those things goal. when you when you're out shopping for a new car and you you come yeah, across a model you're not aware of, and then all right. of a sudden you see it everywhere. Yeah, I'm yep. certainly exactly right. <laughs> I'm yep. going to see a lot of Aztec yeah, warriors exactly. yeah, yeah. popping in my head. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> well, yep. look forward to it. And thank very you, interesting, you, man. Thanks. Bye for okay, now. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, David Towner, folks. Uh, Aztec warrior God. Uh, interesting stuff there. And, I mean, it is.
deep and it is it's important stuff I, I you know if I say that people you know how could a fiction book be important well it it's important because it gets us to think about really important things like with some of the stuff we we're talking about this idea of hating your neighbor because they're different than you and your neighbor could be Africa could be Mexico uh you know culturally again the whole idea of one human uh, one homo sapien one human race it's an important thing and uh i think approaching those ideas and um just exploring re-exploring some historical facts that we we thought we knew about cultures again he's right about the conqueror always writes the story so uh you know the people who I don't, I, we don't really even know what happened to the a- Aztecs, but uh, the, the Spaniards got to write the story. The people who conquered Mexico got to write the story. And so it's a good to re-examine it from a, um, a objective point of view. Anyway, I hope you got a lot out of this program and hope you, you look into it and go check out his website, check out the books, check out the social media and all that kind of stuff. Love to hear your thoughts. Info at minddogtv.com. Info at minddogtv.com. Tonight, Jake Jane Danger Jolly will be back with me. I wonder, can, can you hear that? Uh, there's trees being chopped down in my backyard that I didn't, <laughs> I didn't order. Uh, I didn't hire these tree people, but I'm not doing anything about them because they're doing a good service. But I, I'm assuming somebody in the neighborhood uh, paid for for tree guys. But I'm just wondering if you can hear that. It's been going on the entire program. I just heard it now because they're getting loud again. Anyway, uh, that's the show for today. I'll see you tonight, 8 p.m. Jake Danger Jake Danger Jolly. Animations on me. You touch the clay, you're going to have a bad day. Don't touch the clay. Anyway, that's the show. Thanks for coming. Bye for now.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 